Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. It's just Jake and I today, so when we get to our Badgers part, it'll be just Jake and I. As always, though, it is just Jake and I to discuss the Brewers, which unfortunately are no longer playing baseball. However, if you are interested, uh, yesterday I posted um, a bunch of takeaways from Matt Arnold's season-ending press conference, so you can go and check that out. Um, Today we're kind of just going to give our takeaways from last Wednesday's game, so we're going to start with that. Um, And then after that, we're going to go through a little exercise, something that, um, you know, this is a little bit of a recency thing for me, but I've been – reading a, a book about coach K or I should say by coach K. So we're going to try a, try an exercise from a coach K book. And uh, I think it kind of fits in with, with kind of the way that Jake and I do things. So uh, Jake, what stood out to you from last Wednesday um, when the Brewers got eliminated? Well, the thing that, that kind of stood out to me was the thing that kind of stood out to everybody during the entire season was the, the struggles to hit with runners in scoring position. And it kind of, you know, <clears throat> similar to, you know, the Packers youth and that reared its ugly head the last couple of weeks. Um, the the Brewers inability to hit with runners in scoring position kind of reared its ugly head. And uh, really the reason that we are eliminated and we lost to the Diamondbacks who are on fire now, by the way, and they came into the playoffs hot. Now, we didn't lose to some team that barely scraped into the playoffs. They had their ups and downs but they were one of the best teams in baseball in the first half of the season. Uh, they're young. Uh, they have a lot of exciting players. They have some good pitching uh, Our manager that <clears throat> has been there before. Um, they just, they're just a good team. So I, I'm not embarrassed to lose to them. Uh, I'm a little disappointed by the way that it happened, but you know, just the, the inability to hit with runners in scoring position. And obviously Matt Arnold's going to go to work and try to fix that issue. Uh Hopefully we're, he's going to mend the relationship with Corbin Burns is one thing that I think is definitely on his mind. Um, so if he could do that, hopefully Woody can get 100% healthy going into the 2024 season and, you know, we can 
look to take another crack at it. I don't see why this team can't win the division again next year. Yeah, and it's I'll, – I'll talk about the game first. So the Brewers got off to a decent start, actually. They forced Zach Gallon to throw 32 pitches in the first inning. That's the most he threw in a first inning the entire season. Mm-hmm. So the Brewers, they got off to a, a decent start. Um, he threw he threw more pitches in the bottom of the second inning to Bryce Terang than Freddie Peralta threw in the entire top of the second inning. Oh, my. So the Brewers were actually doing you know a pretty good job uh, extending at bats in the in the beginning of this game, um, and and even scoring early in the games. The Brewers mm-hmm. scored five runs, and all of them were scored before the Diamondbacks had scored any. But they couldn't tack any on, so they scored the first five runs of the series, but allowed eleven unanswered following that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to give uh, credit to Trevor McGill for pitching a really good ninth inning. He had three strikeouts, one looking and two swinging. And then just aside from that, after Sal Freelich had that that lucky liner double play kind of thing where if Gallon catches the ball, the Brewers are going to continue to hit. But mm-hmm. he kind of snares it in his glove, it falls, and then it turns into a double play. After that, the Brewers didn't have any hits for the next four innings and drew two walks. So that that was really kind of the turning point in this game. Now, what I'll say as we transition into this next segment that we're going to do here is I think if we had done this at the end of the regular season, and this is what Coach K does, and it's something that I think is actually a really good idea, which is why we're going to try it, is at the end of of their regular season, before they do their conference tournament, um, Coach K has all of his players – write down what they did well during the season. And he has them put it in an envelope and they put it in a box and then they're starting fresh. And then after, like after the ACC tournament, then they can go back and look at them if they want. And then they do it again before going into March Madness. And that way they're kind of able to compartmentalize things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. where I think if we had done this at the Brewers season and we're like, hey, we're discussing a 92-win Brewers season. You know, we're, we're really happy. There's all these things that happened that went well with <laughs> the Brewers. And, you know, we can go back and look at them after the playoffs. So mm-hmm. that I think what that does, I think, is that gives us an ability to, like I said, compartmentalize it and not attach the disappointment of losing a two-game playoff series to the 92-win game season and then being like, well, this season was a failure because we lost in two games at home in the wild card round. Whereas coming into the playoffs, we were like the Brewers actually had a really great season. We did not expect this team to win 92 games. We were kind of figuring at best, they were going to be around 91, 90. And yeah. That's if, 92 games. Yeah. That's if everything goes right. And right. obviously um, that's in a perfect world. You know, when we kind of do our things, we we take some things into consideration. I mean, I do at least. I know you do as well. But um, but all the things that happen for them to win 92 games is absolutely insane, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's so that's what we're going to do. We're kind of going to go through <clears throat> and we're going to discuss, you know, the things that went well. Um, and we're going to write them down. So if you're watching, listening, and you want to join in, you feel free to grab a pen and paper and and do this with us and kind of participate in it. 
Um, we're going to do this. Jake and I are going to write these things down. And we obviously, as we always do, we invite people who are watching to comment along with us and throw in their thoughts. Um, and then what we'll do is probably maybe maybe part of the Brewers Primer, uh, we'll come back and we'll revisit these. And then we can kind of think about, oh, yeah, these, all, these are all things that happened last season. We can build on them. So um, this is all coming just off the top of the head. Jake and I haven't pre-planned these at all. Uh, yep. We're just going to kind of let them fly. And, and like I said, if you're watching or, or listening along and you want to throw in your thoughts or, um, you know, you're welcome to do so. So, um, yeah. So, Jake, first thing, what comes to your mind uh, when you think of positive takeaways from the 2023 Brewery season? Well, that's tough because there's 162 games, right? So you got to manage and work through all that. I think the thing that they they did really really well was have a you know another dominant bullpen if if that's a thing that we can okay. write down I think yeah. you know having the best or one of the best bullpens is definitely something to hang your hat on. What's up, Tim? Yeah, I like that one. The first one, honestly, that came to my mind um, was uh, the discovery of Andrew Monasterio. Nice. Um, I talked about him, you know, a handful of times. Um, you know, the fact that we talked about, and you, you to, I think you bring it up more than I brought it up, is that you give me credit for saying that the breweries should go with a youth movement, and they yeah. did that. And I brought up, I think, six or seven guys that the breweries could bring up to the major league roster this year, mm. and and they they did. They brought up, I would say, four or five of them. A couple of them got traded, but that is what it is. But Andre Monasterio was not a guy who was even on the radar um, yeah. for for one of those potential um, youth movement players. So the discovery mm-hmm. of Andre Monasterio is one that came to my mind. I like it. <clears throat> so I'm just going to – I'm going to say this is how I'm going to word it. Um, you know, talking of you – know, kind of backpacking off of you and uh, – you know, establishing some young guys, you know, finding out what they do wrong, finding out what they do well. I think that was just, you know, hats off to Craig Council and the entire coaching staff, uh, Matt Arnold. Um, I'm just going to say, how do I want to word this? You know, having young guys up, developing young talent, should I say, developing young talent, you know, like a Weimer, Terang. I mean, obviously we know things they have to work on, but they have gold glove uh, level defense. Um, Sal Frelick has gold glove level defense. He's a guy that if he learns to hit, hit the hit the lefties a little bit better, he could become like a really dominant everyday starter. Yeah. Um, and I can, yeah, definitely adding the defense in there is definitely a thing because one of the things that I was thinking about too was Bryce Terang's defense. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine that he's going to be um, – a finalist at second base for the gold glove award, which we'll see soon. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, definitely going to add um, the defense of the, the rookies. Okay. So the next one that I want to say is Christian Yelich bounce back season. Oh, I like that. Um, I think he batted, I want to say something like 289, something like that. 
Um, and what I'll say is, even though he dealt with the back injuries towards the end of the season, um, what I think is going to be the case going forward um, is that we don't have MVP level Christian Yelich, but I think we have All Star level Christian Yelich, and, and I still think that that is still a very very good baseball player. Which, let me say this. People need to stop saying that Christian Yelich is going to play first base. We got we got to stop that. That's not anything that's even remotely in consideration right now. Uh, we got to stop just acting like somebody can just go play first base. So, yeah. So, right. I think something that is underrated what GMs do is kind of finding those those fringe guys in the in the trade market. And I think Matt Arnold did a tremendous job of that, getting a guy like Carlos Santana and a Mark Canna. And it kind of brought this team together and gave them that little extra juice that they needed to get over the top and, and finish the season strong. So I'm going to write down nailing the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, Andrew Chafin didn't end up on the postseason roster, but he, he pitched – decently well i would say over the last two weeks of the season and looking at what we acquired mark canna for and what we acquired carlos santana for i mean we're talking like bottom bottom five of the top 30 prospects um an international prospect and our number 30 prospect and new york retained all of mark canna's salary for 2023 love that (laughs) yeah so the Brewers, you know, they have a choice to make on him for 2024. And Matt Arnold hasn't um, said they – he said they haven't um, discussed any of those options yet. So there are a handful of players who are obviously arbitration eligible, who have options, and then um, guys who have like a Wade Miley who has a mutual option between yeah. him and the team. Um, but nailing the trade deadline is definitely a good one. Um, let's see. I mean, we we have to put William Contreras in here. We, you know, we could just simply write the name William Contreras, but the yeah. fact that, and this is credit to Matt Arnold, we acquired William Contreras, Yoel Piamps, and a minor league pitcher for Asteri Ruiz. Man. We, we got one of the top five. I still think he's a top five catcher. Um, a great setup, man. And, you know just a throw in basically for one outfielder that we didn't have room for anyways. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, I mean, let me throw out the fact that the Brewers um, had seven walk-off hits and six yeah. of them came from rookies. I love that. Walk-offs, six rookies. I got something good that uh, that went well for the 2023 Brewers. Having two starting pitchers have 200 Ks. That's pretty impressive. Mm. Uh, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns for the third consecutive year. But, you know, having two guys that can get 200 strikeouts. And who's to say that? Uh, Woody has a full season that he doesn't strike out 200 because he's very capable of that, obviously. 
Um, so this this kind of ties into the the bullpen dominance, but let me also throw in Abner Uribe coming up and staying up. Yeah. Um, he seemed kind of like a guy like we knew he was going to have, you know, some some control issues, which showed their head at times. Um, mm-hmm. but he he didn't go back down, and Vinny Rotino talked to us about this. Uh, when we had him on a couple weeks ago, about him only having, I believe, 88 minor league innings under his belt. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. And then getting called up. So I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to be one of those guys that call up, and then they'll send him back down after the weekend or after, you know, somebody's back from the injured list. But Abney Rebe was up, stayed up, and made the playoff roster. Yeah, he, he forced his way into a role on this team yeah. for sure. And I think as far as spring training goes with Abner Uribe, he's going to be a guy who contends for the setup role to begin 2024. Going from 100 plus miles per hour and that slider. And, you know, the key for him is just the control of that slider, in my opinion. Going from that to the best changeup in baseball, maybe the best changeup in baseball history is illegal in all 50 states. At least it should be, because that is ridiculous. I would love him as a setup man, honestly. Not that I have a problem with Piamps, but Uribe seems like he's a guy that's not afraid of the moment. Yeah, and it's not that Piamps is, is afraid of the moment. Piamps has right. a disgusting slider. Right. It's it's just, I think that Uribe has just nastier stuff, is really yeah. kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and, and I actually, I would really love Yoel Piamps as a seventh inning guy. Yeah, uh, I'd actually be a big fan of that. And then yep. you can use you can use guys like uh, Paguero and and McGill for for the sixth inning and Holby Milner for all the above. Um, and I I would imagine they're going to try to bring Bryce Wilson back. Uh, he was he was actually a bigger factor than than people really think. So, um, right. and that just goes to show, like you said, with the first thing you mentioned being the bullpen dominance. I think the bullpen is in a really really good spot. Um, Obviously, some things up in the air, but I feel like the starting pitching is in a good spot. We have some guys down in the minors that are chomping at the bit uh, that are clearly ready for the the, the big show. Uh, the, really, the only thing, I mean, the outfield is still uh, coming to shape. We'll see what Jackson Cheerio does uh, in spring training, see if he's going to be up. Who knows if he forces his way into a role. Obviously, we have Sal Frelick, uh, Garrett Mitchell. Uh, please just let him stay healthy for one season. I would love to see what he can do. Uh, so really the the biggest questions that I have is the corner infielders. And once they figure that out, mm-hmm. I think this roster is going to really start taking shape. And, you know, not to sound redundant, but I really don't see a way that they don't repeat as division champs. I mean, the the Reds still need a lot of starting pitching. Uh, the Cubs. The Cubs are too. The Cubs are the Cubs. <laughs> um, the Cardinals are going to be really good in a few years. But same thing with the Pirates. I think the Pirates are going to be really good in a few years because they're yep. just stacking up number one picks for some damn reason. But they that's have so much talent. for a long time. Right, right. They, they, they got a lot of talent that's going to be coming up in the next two, three years. Same thing with the Cardinals. So I think for next year and, and maybe 2025, depending on how these young guys for the Brewers develop. I mean, we have the number two prospect in baseball. If that guy turns out to what he's projected to be, we have a superstar in our hands, people. 
Yeah, and that's the next thing that I was going to go to was one of my positive takeaways was the Brewers getting into the top five in Major League Baseball farm systems. I like that. Uh, I think we were just, what, like 20, 2018, 2019, the Brewers were in like the bottom five farm systems in Major League yeah. Baseball, and now they're in the top five. Yeah, and uh, they had a really, really good draft this this past year, so mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of guys that are going to be, I mean, I'm still a Cooper Pratt guy, so hopefully Cooper Pratt can, can turn out. Obviously, everybody's cheering for Brock Wilkins, who, Wilkin, who has mm-hmm. a lot of power. Uh, behind him, if he can hit anything for average and, and just hit the ball over the fence, I mean, he could become a major part for this team within the next three years, I'll say. But, you know, the, the Brewers, and that's the thing, not to go off on a tangent, but, you know, everybody being ridiculous talking about how, oh, you're done, you're done, because you might lose Burns and you might lose Woody. Like, that just shows me, first of all, you're a casual, and yep. you're not paying attention to really what is going on with our organization. Like I said before, we have a lot of a lot of guys down in the minors that are going to be ready either this year or the following year. Yep. Uh, some pitching prospects. Uh, Jacob Mizorowski is definitely somebody to, to follow. Uh, shout out to my boy, Tyler, for for putting me on Jacob Mizorowski. That guy's going to be disgusting, by the way. Yeah. So and, we, oh, we just have – sorry, I'll, I'll just wrap this up real quick. We, we have a, a bright future ahead of us. Uh, the Brewers have a chance here, you know, if they hit the lottery one or two times with these guys. Um, to really declare themselves as a dominant team in the National League. Yeah, I mean, if they if they can hit on on a free agent or two, and like you said, at those corner infield positions, and one of the yeah. things that I brought up um, is that, and I put this in the takeaways from yesterday, is that Matt Arnold brought up Tyler Black's name unprompted. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that because that dude he can he can rake a little bit. And he's got crazy speed. Yeah. Um, I think he was, I think he had like 60 stolen bases in double A AA and triple A this year. So a uh, big fan of Tyler Black, and I'm really excited to see him in spring training. Uh, and then just on top of that is you mentioning the pitching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a name that people keep glossing over for some reason is, is Robert Gosser. He led triple A in strikeouts this year. He led all of AAA in strikeouts this year. So while, you know, I'd like a Wade Miley back because he pitched well, you know, his age could be a factor. His injury history could be a factor. He could just decide to retire, which could be a factor. Um, I mean, we're still looking at Aaron Ashby's going to be back. And then you're still looking. Adrian Hauser is one of those guys that has an option. And then Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, those guys are all still factors. So, you know, the, the Brewers starting pitching, and I'm not saying that it's a good thing to lose Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff, but I think they could withstand to lose one of them, should that be the case, because of the guys they have ready to go. And I'll say this, in my opinion, Robert Gosser needs to be in the starting rotation in 2024. I'm with that. I mean, you know, and, and this is a discussion that needs to be had is the possibility of trading a Corbin Burns, right? right. Um, me and you have had conversations about it. I've had conversations about it with other people. Um, it's definitely going to be a hot topic this offseason. You look at a team like the Orioles, uh, who are you know in desperate need of a, a star starting pitcher, and they got a lot of prospects. Yeah, and they only have so many options to put people. So they're kind of overflowing with talent. 
Um, we need hitting. They need pitching that can honestly be a marriage that could work out. Not, yeah. I'm not saying that I want to trade Corbin Burns. Let me get right. that straight. Before somebody comes at me, oh, you wanted to trade Corbin Burns. Listen, I love Burns. But at the end of the day, this this still is a business, and there's always going to be more people coming up, always new young kids that are going to, you know, develop, you know, new skills that we haven't seen. And, you know, Robert Gosser, to your point, might be that guy. So if you're going to flip a Corbin Burns, he has a year left of, of team control, you know, where he can, you know, they have control over him. And then, they, you know, if he enjoys himself, he can resign there. If you're going to trade Corbin Burns, it's right now. Yeah. And – and we'll we'll probably talk about this in in like December uh, when we mm-hmm. have some of these questions before uh, winter meetings start. But yeah, yeah, I mean the Brewers really they're in a good spot. Like I'm really not disappointed. And people are saying, oh, oh, this was the Brewers' last chance at a big run. I'm like, I really don't think it is, given the amount of rookies that were factors on this team. There were eight rookies on the Brewers' 26 playoff man roster. That's insane. It is very insane. It's almost a third. <laughs> it's it's over a third, actually. Well, it's just under a third. It, it's yeah, like thirty percent. Yeah. So essentially, thirty percent of their playoff roster was made up of rookies. Uh-huh. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear this piece out of this notebook. I'm going to take this yep. piece of paper and I'm going to tack it up right behind my tablet here, behind my laptop, and. We will come back to that, like I said, probably probably February or so, maybe March, uh, when we do our, our Brewers primer, and then we'll come back and we'll look at those again. And, you know, like I said, I think this will be something that we try to do maybe uh, with all of our teams as, you know, as the, the next segment of the season starts, so we can kind of compartmentalize these things and, um, and kind of appreciate some of the takeaways. So, Shout out to Coach K, by the way. That's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, man, I said this to you the other day, but I'm currently reading a Coach K book, and then I'm listening to a book at work um, written by Jay Billis, who obviously went to mm-hmm. Duke and played for Coach K and then was an assistant coach under Coach K. Mm-hmm. I have, like, a really newfound respect for Duke and for just how good of a coach that Coach K was. Uh, you don't become the, the USA basketball coach by accident. I'll just say that. <laughs> right. You got to be pretty good and understand how to deal with a lot of, you know, egos and personalities, which obviously Coach K is tremendous at. Yeah. Listening to some of the things that he's, like, gone through with his players, it's just like, man, to have the know-how to, to figure those things out man. and be able to know your, your personnel and your people that well is it's impressive. Yeah, I wonder how uh... – Wonder how that, that all came about. How did he how did he turn out to be the way he is? It's interesting. Well, one of the big things was that he went to he went to West Point, so he credits the military for some of it. Credits is obviously his parenting for some of it, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's I'll interesting. To, I'll have to give that one a listen. I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be in a quiet area at work tomorrow, so maybe I'll nice. I'll put that one on. All righty, so we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna close the book on the Brewers 2023 season for now. Uh, we'll revisit some of these things later on and when we get to the primer. So we'll discuss that. Uh, but are you ready to switch to football? I'm always ready to switch to football. All right. So we're going to start with our power pair and underrated performer. I have our offensive power pair. And, you know, we usually do a player, but I couldn't pick just one. 
because mm. it's an aspect of the game and it's the Badgers running game. Ooh. So I couldn't pick just um, just one out of Braylon Allen, Tanner Mordecai, and ja- uh, Jackson Aker. Between the three of them, they had 45 rushes for 216 yards and a touchdown. That's 4.6 yards per carry. And both running backs also added two receptions for 14 yards. The running game was much better, and the offense was a little bit more consistent, in my opinion. So, yep. And we're going to get into weird how some that... of the ins and outs of why that is in a yeah, little bit. Kind of weird how that goes hand in hand, huh? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. That's shockingly weird. <laughs> All right. So you have defense and our underrated performer. Yeah. So defense was a, a pretty consensus choice uh, between you, myself, and Mike. Uh, fan of the show. Uh, we are big fans of him. Uh, former guest on the show, Ricardo Hallman. Uh, a 95-yard pick six that he had completely changed the game. Uh, Rutgers were driving, could have made this a 10-7 game. Rutgers were getting the ball to start the second half. Instead, we go from possibly a 10-7 game on our heels a little bit to a 17-0 lead and absolutely just changed the course of this game. And to go along with his stats, he had two tackles, both of them solo. He had one pass defense, one interception, and one house call. So a uh, tremendous game for Ricardo Holman. He was blanket coverage. So for UP, I picked another guy that was uh, a guest on the show. And I actually rewatched this game uh, because of something that I have to cover later on defense. And one thing that I noticed, I was watching him like a hawk on every single play. Um, he was CJ Getz, uh, by the way. He had three total tackles, two solo. He had a sack, a tackle for loss. Um, and one thing that was underrated about his game is him being in the right position at almost all times, in my opinion. You know, me and you talked kind of off script. Uh, we do that a lot, honestly. <laughs> it it keep, keeps us keeps us fresh, I think. But the thing about CJ Getz is he's getting more comfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. We said that about Latu as well. Uh, yep. You could definitely tell there was a, a huge difference in the defense this game, in my opinion. And as they were all flying around, they all understood their assignments and they were kind of just playing and not thinking. And you could definitely tell a big difference between, you know, teams that understand their playbook and they fly around. You know, uh, my son's football team, the one thing that I always tell them, you know, because they they hear so many things and, you know, it's their first year really in football. They're trying to think about, oh, do I do this or do I do this? And on defense, they're like, oh, I got to go here. I got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Right. The thing that I always tell them, when the ball is snapped, I want you to run and I want you to hit somebody because one of those somebodies is going to have the ball. If you knock all of them over, they're not going to gain a yard. Just go run. Run, hit somebody. You have a helmeted pads on for a reason. Go. And, you know, actually, you know, they've had a rough season, but the second half last week, it kind of reminded me of the Badgers a little bit. Um, They actually played after the Badgers. We had a night game last week. but the thing about uh, my son's football team is after I told them to just all run around and knock somebody over, they actually held the other team scoreless. They only got one first down. So that was just great advice for a bunch of 10-year-olds to just go run and hit somebody, right? So um, we got that going for us. CJ gets tremendous job. Um, he's doing great at outside linebacker, by the way. Didn't expect him to be standing up as much as he is, but he's a pretty good athlete and he can handle it. Yeah, I've I've planned to, to uh, discuss more about the defense when we get into a little bit of stuff over there. But uh, starting. With- 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The offense, looking at what did improve, um, I'll let you go first and, and discuss what did improve. All right, so for me, it was penalties. Um, so I actually had to flip back to my my notes on the Purdue game because the thing that I wanted to improve, and this is definitely on brand for me, was the penalties. 10 of 11 penalties were on offense. Uh, we had 11 penalties total for 70 yards, six false starts, two holdings, a delay a game, and an intentional grounding. This game against the Scarlet Knights, they had two penalties for 25 yards. One was a rough in the pass around CJ. He's still my UP. Yeah. That one didn't happen until 7.45 in the fourth quarter. And the first penalty that the Badgers had, they did not have a penalty for three quarters. So I guarantee that Fick was on their ass. <laughs> the first penalty that the Badgers had was a holding call at the 15-minute mark of the fourth quarter. And the thing that I'm going to say about that is I'm going to give him a little break. You know, we just he just got the juice from the jump around. So maybe he was a little amped up yet. But – uh, yeah, that's just tremendous stuff to only have two penalties for 25 yards a week after having 11 penalties for 70 yards and really kind of shooting yourself in the foot consistently. Um, if you control what you can control, you don't have have you know mistakes knocking you back, kind of ruining your own rhythm, and you can run the football, win a lot of damn games. So I'm going to look now because I know I, I – uh... I mentioned it last week that the Badgers were 81st in penalties. So I want to see where they are now. They're up to 55. Wow, after one game. After one game. One pretty wow. clean game. They jumped up 26 spots. Wow. In that's penalties. Impressive. So that's that's a really good thing uh, to bring up that improved. So good call on that. Uh, what I put down was Tanner Mordecai's decision-making, especially when to run versus when to pass. He wasn't tricked by any linebackers in this game. Uh, and we broke down a play, which we'll share later this week, of Tanner Mordecai making a great step up into the pocket under pressure yeah. and not trying to just run backwards and escape, but stepping up and then being ready to take off and run and having blockers in front of him. His decision-making was really impressive this week. And, you know, I don't want to go and say that he was perfect, but um, I didn't see any bad decisions that Tanner Mordecai made in this game so before let's let's go to what can improve Uh, Mike the thing that he mentioned to us was short yardage situations just the offensive line getting some better push in those um, those down and two down and one situations whatever down it may be Um, that was something that Mike wanted to bring up but uh, Jake what are you looking for that uh, that needs to improve on the offense so something that could definitely improve and make this team from a team that looks like a good team, in my opinion, they look like a top 25 team. I don't know why they're not ranked. Um, yeah. But a team that could be a top 25 to maybe a top 15 team would be red zone efficiency. And they've been good up to this point, but they got to be better. So I'm just going to go quickly over their possessions. Now, 
the, the first one that I wrote down, they technically weren't in the red zone because they got to the 21. But we had three straight incompletions um, from Tanner Mordecai from the 21-yard line. I just yep. – I'm, I'm not one of those people, you know, because you, if you don't run the ball and you, you throw the ball three times, you're like, run the ball. But if you run mm-hmm. the ball twice and you throw the ball on third down, which the Packers did actually in their game, um, then you complain about that. There was a couple really, really nice play designs uh, against the Rutgers. Obviously, there's one that we broke down that I'm not going to spoil. Mm-hmm. But you could run a little tight end screen. You can run a little, you know, a drag route. You can run a draw even. I mean, you could you could run a play, call two plays, run a play, and then go tempo and kind of catch them off guard. And maybe you get seven yards and gain a first down. I don't know. But there's a lot of things that you can do. I just think maybe a little bit more consistency in the red zone would help. So the second one that I wrote down was the fumble from Braylon Allen. Yeah. So they started 0 for 2 right away, uh, technically 0 for 1. But, you know, uh, Jackson Aker is cooking. Let him cook. Yeah. Um, yeah, let him get in the end zone. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Jackson Aker ending the season with eight touchdowns and Braylon Allen ending the season with 12 touchdowns. I don't see a problem in that. You're still scoring awesome. six points. And I'm sure Braylon Allen will appreciate not getting the shit beat out of him every play. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, he's a guy that has nagging ankle injuries. You know, knock on wood. Yeah, that's, hopefully, yeah, that's you know, that's – if you take some of the pounding away from him, that would be great. Yeah, um, I agree. The third one I wrote down was an Allen touchdown. So, that was a great run by Braylon Allen. Yep. Um, he had humans bouncing off of him like <laughs> they weren't even there. That's ridiculous. The offensive line absolutely dominated on that run. So, um that was, you know, that was their first one. So then the, the last one that I wrote down, and this this goes back to my point about letting Jackson Aker cook because he was cooking on that drive before Allen came back in and fumbled. Aker had consecutive plays of five yards, six yards, and one yard, getting us down to the three-yard line, and then a three-yard touchdown pass to, to Tucker Ashcraft. So um, just phenomenal stuff right there. That was a really, really good play call, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, Ashcraft ended up wide open. Everybody was going with C.J. Williams on that one. He took a corner and a linebacker with him. And they just let Ashcraft. I don't know how you let that guy that size sneak by you, but he went somehow, all the way across too. I know they, they just let him. They were just like, "Don't worry about him." Uh, I'm serious. Everybody went with with CJ Williams after watching this second time. I was just kind of like, "Wow!" But uh, just a great play call. So started out rough, ended up strong. So hopefully they're taking some of that momentum into this Iowa game. But definitely room for improvement, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm gonna just gonna kind of tack on to one of the things you already brought up, but for me, what needs to improve is hands. Yeah. So this this to me encapsulates drops and fumbles. Yep. So the Badgers had two fumbles, one in our red zone and one in their red zone. Yep. So a fumble at the nine yard line and then a fumble at their right, yeah, their nine yard line and our seventeen yard line. So setting them up with a red zone. Um uh, opportunity right away and then what i'll say is four either drops or balls that should have been caught now i didn't include passes that were like initially caught but then broken up because that's good defense and that's you know that's part of football so i wouldn't include things like um i think it was tucker ashcraft had a ball that he had in his hands and the defensive back broke it up that's just good defense there's you know that's tip your cap to Rutgers, and they did that a few times yep. but Four balls that were either dropped or should have been caught. And I will say to the Badgers credit, they were all in the first half. 
so you can yeah. kind of minimize the uh um the impact that those drops had but still to have four drops and two fumbles i do think the badgers hands can improve and on the subject of hands i suppose i can add this in there is a little bit more credit to tanner mordecai for wrangling some of the um mishap snaps and there were quite a quite a few of them uh in the shotgun that tanner mordecai had to uh jump or jolt to the side to corral and then still make plays out of them so credit to tanner mordecai for doing that um also credit to tanner mordecai for making smart um, RPO decisions. There were a couple where Rutgers was still ready for them, but he still made the right decision by reading um, the edge rusher correctly on when to tuck and run and when to hand the ball off. So I wanted to give credit to that. Uh, Jackson Aker looks great. He had a great job, like you mentioned before, the Braylon Allen fumble. Mm-hmm. And the Badgers themselves on offense were 9 of 17 on third down. That is fantastic. Yeah, over 50%. That is a great place to be for the offense. So I wanted to bring that up. And then one other takeaway that I had as we switched to the defense is uh, we need to give Ben Burton a, a little bit of love. He's making some plays here and there. He's flashing in the pan a little bit, just once or twice a game. Um, he's a guy who hasn't really been a, you know, a factor in, in discussing the defensive line, but he's doing <laughs> some, some dirty work here and there. So I wanted to just give Ben Burton a shout out. Real quick, did you hear – I forgot to look it up. Did you hear any updates on uh, Jake Renfro? Talking I did about not. snaps? Yeah, I did not. Yeah, it's it's kind of getting to a ridiculous point. Mike brings it up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, Green Bay needs uh, – Green Bay needs what? Uh, uh, I don't know. Not sure. Anyways, let's switch to the defense here. Uh, do you want to go first? Uh, Green Bay, me to throw it back up, quarterback, play back up, quarterback, play – Okay. Okay. Um, um, what did improve on run on defense? Um, Mike wanted to bring up the run defense. Uh, Badgers did a good job defending the run. What I brought up was that the Badgers' third down defense improved big time. Yes. Two for 12 was Rutgers on third down. Dang. They started 0 for 5, which staked the Badgers to a 10 nothing lead. And man, just two out of twelve. There's there's nothing more you can say about that. That's sixteen percent. Um, so Badgers were fantastic on third down. What did you notice that improved? Um, for one, I'm gonna answer Bobby Manila here. We're not gonna talk about backup quarterback because there's no it's not necessary to talk about a backup quarterback. We're developing yep. a starting quarterback right now. Yep. So everybody needs to take a damn chill pill. Let yep. Jordan Love take his lumps. Yep. We're going to take lumps with him. We're going to tune in every damn Sunday, whether it's noon, whether it's 720, 325. Could be 3.30 in the morning. Could be 3.30 in the morning. I don't give a shit. I'm tuning in. Yep. I'm watching the Packers. And this Relax. is what I said last week was you don't get battle tested without going through battles. So, You know, and there's a, there's a thing about – just real quick before I, before I go. There's a thing about development. Failure might be the most important thing in development. You know, every successful person, they they have quotes. It doesn't matter who it is. But they always talk about failing and learning from that. Yep. There is absolutely nothing wrong with what's going on with Jordan Love. Does it suck to lose? Yeah. We're we're definitely not used to it. Yeah. 
We're not used to it with any of our teams, really. The Brewers right. have been pretty goddamn consistent. The Bucks have been really good since 2017, really, have made have made the playoffs every year. Yep. Packers, obviously, we know the history. The Badgers, they make the NCAA tournament and a freaking bowl game every freaking year. Yeah. We don't we're not used to losing. Okay. Yeah. Do we have some some down years? Yes. And we're gonna have one this year. We talked it's about a, that. It's been a long time since any of our teams went through a rebuild, and it shows. It's, a, it's okay. We're we're gonna have a high draft pick. Uh, we're gonna get more. We're gonna get some more talent coming in next year. We might but, get two high draft picks the way the Jets are going. Yeah, I mean, I cheer for them to lose every damn week. <laughs> but, anyways, let's go back to the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah, Badgers defense. Um, so the thing that improved for me was tackling. So I went through and I counted it, and then I I looked it up. Uh, Dylan Graf is a, a very good Badgers writer, and he counted the same amount, one missed tackle. That is that is amazing, mm. uh, especially for a team that has been averaging eleven point two five missed tackles per game. Ugh. Yeah, that's not great. So to go that. from eleven missed tackles, we'll just call it eleven. To go from eleven missed tackle average to only having one, and Mike wants to talk about the improvement in the run defense. Right there is your answer. There it is. You want to talk about Badgers? You want to talk about Packers? It doesn't matter. The thing that can improve your run defense is tackling the people with the ball. So the Badgers did an absolutely outstanding job of wrapping up. And, you know, there's a couple of plays that we went through on defense, and one of them is Hunter Wohler. That guy doesn't miss tackles. <laughs> that dude, he's something else. He is he is the star. He is the star position. He's the star player on defense. Or it's going to be hard to keep him out of the power pair every single week. Kind of like how we discussed it with, with the Bucks, and it's hard to keep Giannis out of the power pair every single week because he's so good. But looking at it, what can improve on the defensive side of the ball for the Badgers? Um, I put in limiting chunk plays in the passing game. So there were plays of 20, 26, and 30. All three of those passing plays came to three different players, and that accounted for 76 of their 211 passing yards. That is 36% of their passing yards in three plays. Oh, my. Oh. So, for me, that's it's limiting chunk plays in the passing game. We saw it in Georgia, the Georgia Southern game. Um, so, that's, yeah. Um, that's really what I'm looking for. You know, it's it, it was kind of hard to find some things, you know, of what could improve, but um, that was that was one that I had to, uh, had to call out. So... For me, the thing is just consistency. And I brought it up before, but the defense was really flying around and playing with a ton of energy. Um, understanding the scheme is definitely definitely uh, a good thing, but I don't like hearing that number of, of big plays. So if we cut down on those, and we actually held Rutgers to 22 carries for 64 yards, that's a 2.9 average. That's a team that's coming in that I believe, I wrote it down, they averaged – 98 rush yards per game. Oh, they only gave up 98. They averaged 4.8 yards per carry going into this game. So to hold them to under three yards per carry is a really big key. Uh, we locked in on those receivers that I talked about last week. Um, the pick six by by Holman was actually to a receiver that I, I pointed out. So that was great by the defense. The defense did their homework. They came to play, and they they took this one. They took this game by the nuts, and they, they did not let go. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um. Is there anything else you want to say about Badgers and Rutgers? I'm only going to say – I'm going to say one more thing. 
I don't think the score reflected how bad we beat the shit out of them. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'll say, you know, you brought up the the rankings. I think the Badgers are – I think it's fair that they're not ranked yet. Um, I did harp pretty hard on Rutgers' strength of schedule last week. Um, so I think the Badgers being in that, like, 26, 27, 28 spot isn't a bad spot for them to be. Um, if they handle Iowa this weekend, I think that'll get them back into that 23, 24, 25 spot depending on if anybody in the top 25 loses in that area. All right, let's move to Badgers versus Iowa. What are you looking for from the Badgers offense against Iowa's defense? So the thing that I noticed uh, when looking up Iowa is it's a good thing to stay on schedule. Iowa's of – all right, listen, I hate Iowa, okay? <laughs> Iowa is, like, really consistent. Uh, they're kind of They're kind of like us, to be completely honest with you. They pump out a lot of NFL talent, a lot of underrated yeah. NFL talent that people don't understand. Uh, they go on, they win their 8, 9, 10, 11 football games every freaking year, and that's just what they do in Iowa, okay? They're a good team. They're yeah. very well coached. Kirk Ferentz is a good coach. To, you have to stay on schedule versus Iowa defense. By staying on schedule, I mean staying ahead of the chains. Don't get yourself in third and longs. Don't have holding calls. Don't beat yourself. So I have stay on schedule, attack them on the outsides, and play with pace. I loved watching the Badgers come up to the line of scrimmage after completing a pass and then running it for five yards. That is amazing. That's staying on schedule. That's keeping the defense on their toes. No subs. I mean, you're you're kind of you're dictating the game at that point. And you're attacking them. So that's what I'm looking for from the Wisconsin offense. Yeah. So for me, looking at it, the Badgers have the number five offense in the Big Ten at 31.4 points per game. Iowa has the number five defense in the Big Ten, allowing 16.3 points per game. Now, looking at the Rutgers game, I was very pleased with the running game on Saturday. This is what the air raid is about. It's not about passing 100 times a game. It's about spreading out the defense with the passing game to get more defensive backs on the field and have their players spread farther apart. This is where Braylon Allen was talking about being excited to not have to face eight-man boxes because they have to respect the passing game. So you get more defensive backs on the field for the defense, and then you run the ball down their throats. So this is the pass and the run feeding off of each other, which I think the Rutgers game was the best example of how they can feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'll say is, in addition to that, the Badgers do not have a top 20 Big Ten wide receiver in yards. Wow. Um. Will Pauling is number 21, and Shimmer DK is number 22. So oh, wow. I think this also speaks to the balance of the offense and spreading the ball around. Um, guys like Bryson Green getting involved, CJ Williams getting involved here and there. But Will Pauling and, and Shimmer DK are still the two guys. Now I will give credit where it is due. Iowa is a very good tackling team. Yeah, they are. Um, you look at, like Jake said, the amount of guys they put in the NFL, a lot of them, I would say a lion's share of them are on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, yeah. We have one playing for us in Green Bay. I mean, we have one of my former favorite players of all time, Micah Hyde. I mean, I love that guy. That guy went to Iowa. Mike Daniels went to Iowa. Everybody loved that guy, right? So, I mean, Iowa pumps out NFL talent. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. So whoever their linebackers and defensive coordinators coaches are, they, they deserve some credit because Iowa is a very, very good tackling team. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So what are you looking for from the Badgers' defense against Iowa's offense? So here's what I wrote down. I really was breaking down their passing game because obviously we know that they're going to run the ball. So the thing that's really going to tilt this game is their passing game. So we know that they have the backup quarterback in, Deacon Hill. The last two weeks that Deacon Hill has started, he is 17 for 48 for 225 yards. That is a two-game oh. totals. Goal. I want – sorry, excuse me. I want to stack the box, oh. force Deacon Hill to be – yeah, that's it's bad, dude. Um, He oh, was 6 man. of 21 last week versus Purdue. Six, 6 of 21. Five of his six went to their tight end, Eric Hall, which, by the way, they develop tight ends, by the way. Touche. A lot of tight ends in the NFL. Touche. They could be tight end you. You could really make an argument for them being tight end you. That's fair. Um, Eric All leads their team with 19 receptions, 280 yards, and three touchdowns. Last week, he had five receptions, 97 yards, and a touchdown. So, Eric All is all of the passing game offense. Um, I don't know why that worked out so perfectly, but it did. Um, Eric All is actually a really good athlete, in my opinion. So, look at Eric Hall. Get after Deacon Hill. Stop the run. Pretty self-explanatory. Right. <laughs> well, I'm going to break it down a little bit farther. So you mentioned Deacon Hill. He's starting because they lost their starting quarterback, Cade McNamara. Uh, yeah. Deacon Hill, former Badger, actually. They they won 20-14 to 14 against Purdue last week. Mm -hmm. The team, the Badgers, beat 38-17. to 17. Yep. <clears throat> um, Iowa's only scoring output over 30 points this year was – 41 points versus Western Michigan. And they scored a touchdown late when they shouldn't have, to be honest with you. Um, my thing is the Badgers defense is getting better. The tackling is improving. They're getting more pressure and the secondary is playing well. Yep. So I think we're starting to see the Badgers get into a groove on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. Iowa has the number nine offense in the big 10. This is the this is what's funny now because you brought up the the Iowa wants to run the ball. It's it's ironic because Iowa does not have a top ten rusher in the Big Ten. Their offense is really bad. Chesma Lucy is still number nine. Holy shit! Iowa's first player on the list is Lashawn Williams at number fourteen. Oh. Oh, baby. I need to change my score predictions. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So you're going to love my matchup when I bring it up. But what is the matchup that you're watching in Badgers versus Iowa? So there was a kid last year, number three for Iowa, and he kind of took over the game. Oh, um, yeah. Good call. A couple years ago – or a couple years ago. What am I talking about? <laughs> Two weeks ago versus Michigan State, they won a close one against Michigan State. He actually had a pump return that put him ahead. Um, this oh. guy is electric on special teams. He's a really, really good athlete. I'd be shocked if he's not in the NFL. That kid, yeah, that kid can ball. I'd uh, honestly be name, shocked if he's not going to be a first or second round pick. To uh, to be, hey, seriously, bro, you're not wrong. Uh, Cooper DeGene, um, he's a guy I would not be upset if the Packers ended up. I would actually be excited. He's a baller. Yeah, he is an absolute stud. You know, the thing <laughs> that really kind of sets good defense players from great defense players is the ones that are great, they just – for some reason, they always end up around the football, right? And he is 100%. He is a magnet to the football. Um, yep. He basically won the game for them last year against us. 
He did. Um, he was going crazy. He had a big punt return, uh, making tackles, making interceptions. So um, he has 21 solo tackles, 33 or 21 solo, 33 total, 12 assists, and he has two interceptions this year. So the matchup that I'm looking for is Cooper versus Tanner. Um, mm. Hopefully the decision-making that you talked about earlier continues. Uh, Tanner can continue making the right decisions. And, you know, don't make that mistake to Cooper because if he gets his hands on the ball, he obviously has an ability to return it and he has a, a nose for the end zone. So Tanner Mordecai, Tanner Houdini, after that step-up play, that's really what I want to call him, uh, versus Cooper DeGene. Uh, he's a really, really good player. Yeah, and that's the thing is the Iowa's offense is not good, but don't give them opportunities by being in good field position. When I think of Iowa, I think of like – early 2000 Chicago Bears when Devin Hester was there and they were playing really good defense, but their offense was just, just so bad. <laughs> so you're going to like this. So my matchup to watch is the Badger run game versus Iowa's run game. Oh, I want to at least, at least Uh-oh. double the amount of rushing yards that Iowa has. At least, at the bare minimum, double the amount of rushing yards that Iowa has. That is very possible. If they have 70, I want to be at 140 or more. That is very possible. If they have 90, I want to be at 180 or more. I believe the Badgers offense is capable of that. I like that. I do like that. I almost put, I I was, bro, when I tell you I was this close to putting triple triple because <laughs> i was thinking i'm like man if we get them around like 60 70 maybe 75 rushing yards that's you're talking 180 210 225 i could see that i really could so i'll throw this let me do let me do two and a half let's do two and a half times the amount of rushing yards that iowa has I'm with that. so if they have 70 i want the badgers to have 175 well when you hear the weather report in a little bit, it's going to be a running game. All right. You want to do that before you do the keys to the game? Yeah, we could do that. All right. What's the weather going to be like? So this is from uh, weather.com, so don't shoot the messenger. 52 degrees, cloudy, breezy, and cool with a couple of showers. Real feel, 44 degrees. Uh, probability of participate participation. There's going to be Jesus. a 100% chance of participation. Participation, yes, 100% <laughs> chance. Uh, 73% chance. Uh, a 15% chance of thunderstorms. Uh, hmm. Winds north at 14 miles per hour and wind gusts up to 31 miles per hour. So definitely huh. a Wisconsin old say It's going to be a, a Wisconsin October day. That's what that sounds yeah, like. For sure, for sure. <laughs> All right, what is your key to the game? Pretty, pretty easy. Sell it on the run. Double Eric all. All right. Uh, mine is pretty simple as well. It's not even that specific, honestly. Mine is for the defense to maintain their momentum on their improvement. Ooh, I like that. All I right. Give me your score prediction from the head. 31, Wisconsin. 12, Iowa. Four field goals. Okay, I'm with that. Um, I have 27 to 16. Ooh. 
I like that score. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a Wisconsin Iowa score. It does. It really does. Um, <laughs> what's your score prediction from the heart? So, I don't have Iowa scoring a touchdown this week. So, kill me later if they do. Thirty-one to nine. Thirty-one to nine. Or I lied. I lied. Thirty-eight to nine. We're gonna oh, win hey, by thirty-one. I have, I have 38. I also have 38. Um, so instead of giving them a touchdown and three field goals, I gave them a touchdown and two field goals. So I have the Badgers 38-13 from the heart. Ooh, 38-13. I like it. I think all of these things are possible. I was definitely a beatable team. Uh, it's time for some payback after those SOBs decided to play jump around after they barely beat us <laughs> last year. So that still pisses me off. They knew what they were doing. Those I wonder if Fickle will show that to him in the locker room. It, honestly, as a grown man and in college, I don't care if they're young. They're young men, but they're grown men. If getting mocked doesn't piss you off to your core, you, you got to check your heart, man, because that yeah. shit really pisses me off. Yeah, and if there's a sport you want to inject some aggression in, it's football. Yeah, I want to just tear their freaking heads off. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I do not like them one bit. All right. Anything else you want to say about the Badgers? It'll be nice to uh, get a big-time W. Uh, this game will go really, really far into Wisconsin's first goal, which is always every team's first goal, and winning the Big Ten West. Yep. And that's, yeah, like I'm glad you phrased it that way by having that as the first goal. Alrighty, so that is it for today. We will be back on Friday night to recap the Packers Monday night loss to the Raiders. So we'll be doing that on Friday night. Um, no preview because the Packers are on by this week. Other than that, next Wednesday, we will be back discussing the Badgers versus Iowa. And um, not, not next Wednesday, but the following Wednesday is going to be our Milwaukee Bucks season primer. That is the day before opening day for the Bucks. We're going to have some countdowns leading up to that, which is going to be fun. And yeah. then the following Wednesday, we're going to have our Badger basketball primer. So today's episode, a little bit shorter. Next week's episode, probably going to be a little bit shorter. But then after that, we're in full football basketball season. And uh, then, uh, then, then we know winter's coming, but we also get lots of sports to talk about, which is what we love to do. So, yeah, we're, we're going to have some good basketball teams, by the way. So, as bad as you think the Brewers playoff loss was, uh, as hard as it is to watch the Packers at times this year, we're going to have some good basketball teams. Yeah, we're going to have some fun with basketball. So, all righty. Well, Jake, I will see you Friday night then. Hey, take care, buddy. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.